Well, got a question. How do you tell the difference, or how can you tell the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? Well, one's going to see you later, and the other one will see you after a while. I thought surely somebody would know that one. Anyways, I know. <coughs> I'm sorry. I think they're getting worse, probably. But anyway. All right. Well, before we begin today, we need to uh, discuss what we're getting at today. And, uh, of course, last week we began a study uh, with, the, eh, with the question, can we trust the Bible, right? Can we actually trust the scriptures that we rely on to know about God, to see his revelation, to see his character, to see what he did for us through his great love for us, right? And, of course, we know he created us. He created this universe. We know that he sent his son to die for us because sin crept into the world, and God cannot tolerate sin. Therefore, he had to provide a way because we had no hope other than him doing it, right? And he had to send his son to die for us that we then, on our faith in him and our belief in him and our obedience to that gospel, that good news, we might have a hope of salvation. How do we know about all this? Through the Bible. And the Bible it can be trusted, that question can be answered as yes, and we can see a lot of reasons why. It's not just because we believe it, it's not just because we have faith in it, but there's evidence for it. The Bible consists of 66 books, right? And of course, if you were raised in the church, you learned that in Bible school, right? Uh, we sing the songs, you know, I, I still, when I'm looking up a scripture in my head, I'm going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, I'm going through the whole song to get to where I need to go. <coughs> And that's how it's memorized by children, and that's a wonderful thing. But we know these books, and we know how many they are. We know what they're about. But we don't necessarily know how we got them. We don't necessarily know why we have this number of books, and what, why, how, why are they here in the Bible. And we're going to look at that a little bit today. Why are there, there are 66 total books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And why is that the case? Why are those books in the Bible. And of course, we're going to talk a little bit too about some additional books, which I mentioned last week, I think Bill even brought it up, about the apocryphal books, right? Or the lost books of the Bible, you might say, right? And we're going to look at some questions that pertain to the canonicity of the Bible. Canon is a word that just means a standard uh, or, or for anything, right? A standard or, or that bar that says above this, you know, these will be included, these will not. That's simply all that means. And for early Christians, it meant that rule of faith as authority. What scripture was considered to be an authority? What scripture could they go to to really believe this is from God, right? And that inclusion of those books in the canon would follow basically two steps. Whether it was inspired by God, all right, the inspiration of God, co-authored by God through his spirit, right? And also recognized by men as being from God. That's how they would be included. Man recognized these are what God revealed and accept them into the canon of the scripture. In other words, the, bar, the book could not just be accepted on its own, right? There had to be a reason that man would recognize that book to be inspired of God. So I believe that you can rely on all the books of the Bible to be inspired, written, co-authored by God, written by men who were inspired through the Holy Spirit. And the Old Testament is what we're going to look at today, right? We're going to look at that and say, well, how do we know the Old Testament is from God? Well, probably the first reason and the, and the most logical reason is, did Jesus accept it, right? The question, re, logical question is, did Jesus accept the Old Testament? What we have 
in the scripture. Well, let's turn over to John chapter 5 and read a verse from there real quickly. John chapter 5, if you want to turn over to me, it's verse 39. <coughs> Jesus is talking about the scriptures, and he says in verse 39 of chapter 5, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Jesus refers back to the scriptures to say it's talking about me. And he's talking about the Old Testament here. Of course, he didn't have the canon of the New Testament yet. Jesus is on the earth. And he's referring back to the Israelites. He's referring back to the Jewish writings to say, these point to me. You think you know about it, but you don't. Turn over to chapter 10 there. Let's see what else he says. Chapter 10 of John. And we're going to look at verse 34. John 10, 34. It says, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you were gods. That's little g. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scriptures cannot be broken, do you say of him who the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do... Though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. Here's Jesus saying, this is who I am. I am the Messiah. And in verse 35 he says, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scriptures cannot be broken, do you say of him whom Father sanctified us into the world, you are blaspheming? In other words, he's referring back to the scriptures. He's saying, are you saying that, the, that they're blaspheming if you're not believing in me? If you believe me, you know these scriptures are true. So what he's saying is, if Jesus is true, and if you believe in him, and as he's saying, if you believe in me, then you've got to believe in these scriptures because they point to me. So he's pointing that out to us. He's simply saying right there, the Old Testament scriptures are valid. They're from God. And they point to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Jesus also recognized the divisions of the Old Testament which today is a little different than what the Israelites had or what the Hebrew Bible is. We, we have, what, the five different divisions, right? We have the, the, uh, the law, right, from Genesis to Deuteronomy. And correct, somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you have the history, we say today, from Joshua to what, uh, I believe it's uh, around Esther. And then from uh, Job or all the way down to the prophets, you have what we call poetry. And then you have the major and minor prophets, right? And the Old Testament is divided up that way for our Bible today, but the Jews had it a little different. And that Jesus' time, there were basically three divisions of the Old, of the Old Testament, of, or of the Bible, of the Scriptures, as they would call it. They wouldn't have called it the Old Testament. The Jews still believe today, a practicing Jew believes that they are still waiting for the Messiah to come. Right? But they, so they would simply call the Old Testament their Scriptures, their writings. And they had three divisions, the law or the Torah. You might have heard of the term the Torah used. That's the five books of the law of Moses, Genesis, Deuteronomy, which is how our Bible is divided. But then after that, they divide things a little differently. The next division was the prophets or the Nebhim. I think that's how you pronounce that. And this would have consisted of the former prophets or the latter prophets. And you can see this in your outline, of course. The former prophets would have included Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. And Kings was simply one book. It's not two books like it is in our Bible. The latter prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and a, one book containing the 12 minor prophets. Today we have those all split out in our Bibles, but in the Israel script, uh, Israelite scriptures or the Jewish scriptures, 
They simply have one book called the Minor Prophets. Then they would also have the third division, the, what's called the Writings, or the Ketubim, Ketubim which they would have considered uh, poetical, had poetical books, Psalms, Proverbs, and Job, and then five roles, the Song of Solomon, Ruth, Lamentations, Esther, and Ecclesiastes, and several historical books, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles, Chronicles being one book also, just like the Kings. A little bit different than our arrangement that we have in our Old Testament, and we would say, well, you know, I might consider Daniel more of a prophetic book than a historical book, but it does have history. It talks about the captivity in Babylonia, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, dealing with Daniel and those who had, been come, had come over from Israel in the captivity. So you have some history there. But, so these are arranged a little bit differently, but this is the arrangement that would have been available to Jesus and the Jews at the time he was on the earth. Jesus followed that arrangement, the arrangement of the Old Testament books that was customary among the Jews. Turn over to Luke chapter 24, and let's read something real quick from there. And if you're not, if you're not studied this before, I think this is very interesting because we read these scriptures and we don't think about this part of it, right? Luke 24 and verse 44 says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you. And, all that, and that all things must be fulfilled, now notice what he says here, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Now let's go back there and see what he said there. What he says, all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, the Torah, and the, and the prophets, the uh, the, if I say it right, the Nebium and the Psalms or the Kethubim. All three divisions of the Jewish Bible are there. We read that, we don't even think about that part, but that's what he's talking about there. He's saying all the scriptures from all those three divisions are doing what? They're referring to me. And the disciples' eyes were then opened. They knew the scripture, and when he tells them this, they realize, aha, those three divisions of the Bible are arranged to point to the Messiah in Jesus Christ. Interesting, right? Jesus followed the arrangement of the Old Testament books. That was customary from the Jews. Not only that, he talked about the prophets a little bit, and I want to uh, turn over to Luke chapter 11 and see what he says there about the prophets and who who was around during the Old Testament times. And this is another thing that he's going to talk about that refers back to what we know about the Israelites or the Jews. Luke chapter 11, and beginning in verse, uh, let's go ahead and start in verse 46. He says, And he said, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. And he's blasting them. Notice verse 51. From the blood of Abel 
to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. Okay, what's the point I'm making there? Did you notice the prophets he mentioned? The first one is Abel. When did Abel live? Around the beginning, right? He was the son of Adam. Abel did what? He gave a good sacrifice that was accepted by God. Hebrews 11, verse 4, includes Abel in the great chapter of faith. Doesn't necessarily say he was a prophet, but that's what Jesus is saying here. Abel was a prophet. He prophesied of God, who God was, because he believed and he gave the good sacrifice, as opposed to Cain's, right? So Abel was the beginning, a prophet, and then he mentions all the way to Zechariah. Who was Zechariah? He was one of the last prophets of Israel. Lived in the 5th century, around 500 to 400. Well, actually, I think it was before 500. I think he died before 500 B.C. He wasn't the last. Well, Malachi was considered to be the last prophet. But he was killed by Joash, King Joash, son of Hezekiah, who was raised up from a young man as king. Jehoiada, the priest, high priest, as long as he was alive, Joash was a good king. When Jehoiada died, Joash listened to his young Listen to the young guys rather than the older guys. And they told him, hey, you need to bring these idols in. He became a bad king. Zechariah went to the temple to tell him about it. Told him, you got to stop this. you got to change for this. And Joash had him killed between the altar and the front, of the front door of the temple. Right there. So Jesus is referring back to the prophets who we can read about in the Old Testament. We have books. We have evidence of these people and Jesus is referring back to them those are written in the scriptures so he talks about the, uh, the prophets being there he talks about the arrangement that's followed he doesn't quote from every book in the Old Testament as far as we have in scripture but he quotes from each division and he refers back to them constantly so that the disciples and those he preached to could understand who he was not just because he said it but because of the signs and wonders that he performed, right? They were able to see through that that the Old Testament pointed to him. Interesting, right? It's also that the Old Testament was recognized by the followers, the apostles. Turn over to Romans chapter 15, and let's read something from there. <clears throat> Romans chapter 15 this is Paul talking, verse 1. We then, who are strong, uh, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Paul saying, you can refer back to the scriptures. They point to Jesus Christ. Through that, we can have hope. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's look at something there. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 10, let's begin in verse 6. Paul writes, Now these things became our examples. 
to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Nor all this all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. All these things that Paul talks about here can be read in the Scriptures. Remember? You know about the serpents when they were in the wilderness, the rebellion of Korah, when they said, you know, we don't have enough to eat. No, the earth opened up and they were swallowed up into the earth because they were judged. All these things are referred back to by Paul. Last week we read 2 Timothy 3, 16, but let's do that again. Let's go over there and just see what Paul says to Timothy one more time. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and let's begin in verse 14. He says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now notice, Paul's writing this in a letter. We don't have the New Testament written down yet when he's writing this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, for every good work. Paul's telling Timothy, we have the scriptures from God. We know how to live. We know his character, his law, through the scripture. Also, we have the apostles' frequent quotes from the scripture. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1, and let's see uh, one here. Well, something here that's, uh, that the Lord quotes. Matthew chapter 1 and beginning in verse 22 says, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translation, God with us. Here refers back to the prophecy of the child of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ to come. Acts 17, turn over there real quick. Let's read something else that the apostles used while they were trying to evangelize and preach the word. Verse 1 of chapter 17, Acts chapter 17. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them. And for, the Sabbaths, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded in a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. They used the scriptures to evangelize. Went into the synagogue, preached to the Jews who knew the scriptures, who knew the Torah, the prophets, the writings. And he says, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, is the one these scriptures are pointing to. Well, it is evident that Jesus and the apostles accepted the Old Testament books as they are written here. Of the, the, the canon of the Hebrew Scripture, which includes the 39 books that we have in the Old Testament. To the Jews, it was uh, what, 24, actually, because as I mentioned, some of those books were combined. The Minor Prophets were 12 books in one. You only had a book of Kings, you had a book of Chronicles, you had a book of Samuel. 
They weren't separated out. That's the way it is still to this day, actually. If you went to a synagogue, those reading those, that's the way their scriptures would be arranged. But you have those accepted by Jesus and the apostles. Really, what else do you need? That should do it, right? If you believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God and He came in the flesh as a man, then you got to believe the Old Testament is from God, right? He said it was. He quoted from it. I don't think he would have done that if it had not been that way. So it's evident that Jesus' apostles accepted the authority of the canon of the Hebrew Scriptures, those 39 books. But there are, I want to get into just a little bit, some extra books that you might find in the Catholic Old Testament. Saying Catholic, uh, I don't know if all Catholic churches would have that, but it's in their canon, you might say. And we'll talk about that here. That's, it's called the Old Testament Apocrypha, okay? And these are books that were basically written after Malachi, around after 400 B.C. So that period from 400 B.C. to the time of Christ, that's when these books have been written. And you actually have them in your outline here. I'm going to read them off here. You can, uh, you can see this, though. There's about 15 books um, that have or written that are known. Uh, the Wisdom of Solomon are uh, known as the Book of Wisdom. Ecclesiasticus, also known as Sirach. There's Tobit, Judith, 1st and 2nd Maccabees. Uh, the Prayer of Azariah, which actually in the, in the Apocrypha is placed as part of Daniel chapter 3, or the end, from verses 24 to 90. You have the Book of Susanna, which is actually placed as Daniel chapter 13. You have the Book of Bell and the Dragon, it's called Bell and the Dragon, and that's placed as chap Daniel chapter 14. And then Baruch, which would be the, actually the first five books First five chapters of Baruch, and then the letter of Jeremiah is placed as the sixth chapter of Baruch. Then you have additions to the book of Esther. That begin, would be uh, chapters 10, verse 4, through chapter 16, verse 24. You have first and second Esdras, also known as third and fourth Esdras, and that might be added to Ezra in some, some ways. And then the last one, the prayer of Manasseh. All right. So these are apocryphal books that were written from 400 to the time of Christ. Now, I think Brother Clore did a uh, study on this a few years ago. I remember he, he went over some of the books of the intertestamental, intertestamental period, okay? And I'll, just, I'll, go, I'll get into some of the reasons some accept them and some don't. One thing I want you to keep in mind, though, is, and we'll talk about this more in a second, from that period of 400 B.C., around the time that Malachi died, who was considered to be the last prophet, the Jews consider prophecy to have ceased, Okay, uh, there might be some that argue, well, there's been some minor prophets or something since then. But basically, they say after Malachi died, there have been no more prophets in Israel. All right, no more Jewish prophets. And I don't have any scripture to support this, but you would think, yeah, that makes sense. We know Jesus comes at four, about 400 years later. That's the time when God was He had revealed what He needed to reveal. Jews were back in Israel. The temple had been rebuilt, <clears throat> that's the second temple period, and things from Malachi to the time Jesus came were changing or moving forward, you might say. You know, the Roman Empire became great. You had the, the ways, the roads being built, all those things that the time of Christ was uh, able to come, come about on the earth, or the time of fulfillment, or when the times were fulfilled, right? When the fullness of time came about. So you can kind of see that play out a little bit, right? You can kind of see how God prepared them for 
uh, prepared the world for the coming of Jesus through the Jews. Therefore, that's one of the reasons you wouldn't necessarily consider these books to be um, canonical or part of the scripture. That was after the prophets had pretty much ceased. And so there are no more prophets in Israel. There are no more known scriptures that would be considered to be from God. Some have good reasons to keep them in there. Others say no. One of the reasons, well, and the reason the, the Apocrypha is, is accepted in the canon of Scripture in the Catholic Church, or what you call the Roman Catholic Church, is the Council of Trent. And if you, don't, if you know any history of the church, that occurred in the middle 1500s, okay? That was in Italy. Trent is in the northern part of Italy. Pope Paul III uh, arranged for that to occur because you know what was going on in the early 1500s? You remember? You know your history of church at all? You got Martin Luther, right? Came around and put the 95 Theses on the church in Wittenberg, Germany around 1517, right? You got Henry VIII over there in England who's wanting to divorce his wife because he didn't give him an heir. And so about 1533 or so, he separates from the Catholic Church, has, starts having Catholics in prison, priests in prison and stuff, and the Church of England has begun, who he declares himself the head of, so he can divorce Catherine of Aragon and Mary Anne Boleyn. And then, you know, if you know any European or English history, you know how that went. So you have that going on. You have the Reformation movement beginning in Europe. So what's the Pope and the others of the Catholic Church decide they got to do? they got to get together and talk about this Reformation movement because it's a heresy. And that's what they do. And there's about three different times when they get together the Council of Trent is the Pope and all the bishops or whatever from around, they travel to get together and they come up with this new canon of Scripture. And what do they do? They add the Apocryphal books to it. So the Catholic Bible has not had these books in it, well, they did not have it until 1546, the Council of Trent. They don't have all of them. They exclude 1st and 2nd Esdras and the Prayer of Manasseh. While there's 15 total books in the Apocrypha, the Roman Catholic Bibles count only 11 there. And they do accept them. So if you had a Catholic Bible or what you might call a New American Bible, which you, like I said last week, if you have a Bible app, you'll see that translation on your app. I don't know if it'll have all those books in it, but most likely it will. And they include these, scripture, these uh, books in there. <coughs> Several reasons for the Catholic Church or for them to be included the teaching that is in 2nd Ezra 7, chapter 7, you can read this in verse 105, is um, an opposition, well, this is why the Catholic Church would exclude this. It says that there's an opposition to prayer for the dead. Uh, the, Rome, the, the reasons suggested for the Old Testament Apocrypha Scripture would include such things as some of the church fathers quoted from them, Arrhenius, Tertullian, uh, Clement of Alexandria. The Syriac Church, or what's part of Syria, accepted them in the 4th century, the Eastern Orthodox Church or those that, I don't know if you know, there's a difference in the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox, right? Uh, Russian, uh, the, the Russian bloc, Eastern bloc countries in Europe uh, are tend to be different than the Roman Catholic Church. And they do things a little bit different. And they included them pretty much from the beginning. The Roman Catholic Church, as I mentioned, didn't start using them in the canon until 1546. And uh, the Apocrypha was included even in the Protestant Bibles and King James Version, the original King James, the Apocrypha was included, which was completed in 1611. Some have been found among other 
Old Testament books with the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I'll get into those in just a minute. Dead Sea Scrolls were found in caves by the Dead Sea in 1947. And they've found other apocryphal books there too. All right. So those are reasons, some, that they would be accepted. Now I want to get into reasons why they should be eject, rejected. First and foremost, we just talked about how do we know for sure the Old Testament canon is valid? Because it was accepted by Jesus and the apostles. None of these books are ever quoted by Jesus or the apostles. You have no reference to them, and they're not included in the Jewish canon of Scripture. Those are pretty good reasons right there not to include them. There's no New Testament reference to any of the apocryphal books. Therefore, nothing to authorize them, right? Authenticate them. Do not, the New Testament writers do not quote them at all. Jews, the Jewish never accepted them as part of scriptures. There are also some ancient Jewish leaders, like we've talked about Josephus, one of the writers, or Philo, did not accept the Apocrypha as part of the scriptures. Mentioned before the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament, done about two or three hundred BC before Christ, that does include them. Yes, sir. That's true. Bill says you can't. Yeah. 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 Good point. Yeah, they are around. You can read them, and we'll talk. We'll talk a little bit more of that in a second, right here. Uh, as I mentioned, the Jews didn't accept them. The ancient Jewish leaders. There were some that didn't include them. Septuagint does, but they were never accepted as being part of the canon, even though they were included in that translation. As I mentioned, the NAB, the New Catholic Translation, has a, which includes them, has a footnote, though. And as Bill's kind of alluding to it, they, they're good to read, even though they're not necessarily authoritative. Uh, they say the story of Susanna and Bill and the Dragon, frankly, admits they are excluded from the Jewish canon of Scripture. You can read that in footnotes. So while there were some early church leaders uh, that appear to take some of the material from them, most were opposed to the inclusion of the, of the Apocrypha and in the canon of the Scripture. These would include Jerome and Cyril of Jerusalem and some others. Uh, the Apocrypha itself actually also points to the Old Testament books as being part of the canon of the Scripture. Uh, Esdras 14, 44 through 48 mentions that 70 books are distinguished from 94 books that the Israelites would have had. 70 from 94 is what? 24. That's the number of books that are in the Jewish arrangement of the Old Testament. As we mentioned, some of them are combined. So they are mentioned in some of these books as being part of the canon of Scripture. <coughs> does it, complain, it does not complain, uh, it does not claim uh, inspiration either. There's nothing in any of those books that claim that they are inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God as we read about in, in the New Testament and so forth. In fact, in 1 Maccabees 9, verse 27, the writer of the first, uh, Maccabees, first, uh, Maccabees books says, talks about the cessation of the prophecy after Malachi and how that troubled some of the Israelites because there were no more prophets around. 
And so if you think about that, one of the reasons we have the books is because of the prophets. God sent the law and the prophets, right? Therefore, Maccabees is kind of claiming that there's no inspiration here. These are just good books to write about the Jews and the Israelites about the history. Martin Luther even included the Apocrypha in the German Bible, in his Bible. But he did say in there, as Bill alluded to, these are books that are not to be considered the same as Holy Scriptures, but they're good things to read. And so, yeah, there's nothing wrong with reading these books, nothing wrong with considering them, uh, especially looking at the history of the Israelites in that intertestamental period and some things that might have been going on. But keep in mind that these are not necessarily authority from God, not necessarily part of the canon of Scripture. As long as you can keep that in mind, there's no reason you can't read them. There's also no Greek manuscript that contains the exact collections of the Apocrypha as were accepted at the Council of Trent. And what I mean by that is, we talked about the old manuscripts last week. None of those contain all those Apocryphal books in it in the manuscript. They do have the Old Testament as arranged by the, by the Israelites or by Jews, but they don't have those. So that's another reason to think, well, they're not part of it. And I mentioned while the Syrian church accepted them in the fourth uh, while the Syrian church accepted them, the translation of the Bible into Syrian in the 2nd century did not. So you have a lot of discrepancy among the translations there with that. Also, the Qumran community. So let me talk about that a minute. If you don't know what that is, that was a group of people. They were called the Essenes. All right, Qumran was a region of the desert northwest of the Dead Sea. And these were people who lived um, kind of isolated who dedicated their lives to copying scripture, writing scripture, keeping books, preserving the books of the Old Testament and other writings. They lived a life basically of celibacy. They lived a life devoted to God, devoting their whole time of their lives to keeping scripture around. In 1947, in a cave in that region, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, okay, dating back to that time. And, of course, we have that. We talked about that a little bit last week. <laughs> Those Dead Sea Scrolls did not have the Apocrypha as part of the canon. They did have some of the writings. They found those in other areas of the Qumran community, but they were not part of those manuscripts. So there is that. There is a lot of evidence to say we have the specific books of the Old Testament, but we don't need to include the Apocrypha, the Apocryphal books. As, as, as we talked about, there's, there's nothing wrong with reading them. As I mentioned, Brother Clore had a whole, I think a whole quarter spent on some of the books. I don't think he did all of them. Um, they're interesting reads if you want to read through them. I've never read through them all. I probably should do that uh, just to get a good understanding of everything. They are historical if you like the history, a history of, particularly history of the Jews. You'll get a lot of that from that. They're not necessarily a, you know, textbooks. They're, gonna, they're written poetically, just like most of the other scriptures we read. But you can get that out of it. So there's something that would be good to read. Um, while these books have um, test, uh, stuck around all this time, we would not consider them part of the canon for the reasons that we mentioned. And those who accept the authority of Jesus and his apostles um, would probably have a hard time, right, accepting them. I, I would not accept them as part of the canon of Scripture. I don't believe they need to be part of what we have in the Old Testament. I think we have plenty from what we have in the Old Testament. I think that's been approved by 
Jesus Christ, as apostles have mentioned, and that's all we need. Doesn't hurt to read them, though. In some sense, the, you know, the use of these books is really irrelevant, right? Irrelevant. Because we're not under the Old Testament anymore, right? I mentioned when we studied our study of Galatians, the Old Testament was done away. Remember? Paul was adamant about that when the Judaizing teachers were coming in telling the Christians they still need to be circumcised, they still need to follow the law of Moses. Paul says the law was our tutor, but nobody could keep it. We are now under the law of Christ. We have a New Testament. The Old Testament was nailed to the cross. So when you think about it, yes, we need to know the canon of Scripture, the Old Testament. And we need to know what's not part of that. But the ultimate reason for the Old Testament was to point us to Jesus Christ. So we could see how that came about, what was behind all that, how he came to be, and why there was a need for him to come. That's the ultimate reason for it. Yes, we know the law from the Old Testament. We know how to live, but we are now under the New Testament. We are under the law of Christ, the law of love. We live because of our love for God. And through the love of God, we do what? John said it, or Jesus said it, and John, if you love me, you'll do what? Keep my commandments. Absolutely. That's how we know about God through his revelation in the Old Testament. And guess what? If you haven't obeyed that gospel yet, good day as any. What a great way to start this July 4th weekend, wouldn't it be? All right, thanks for being here. Our time.